<laughs> so it works good. And, and um, so it's, it's a situation that, you know, if there's anything we can do to help you encourage to yeah. do this type of thing, I know, I'm, not, I'm not sure I helped your show. Pay me. Right. Just pay me. Right. That'd be great. <laughs> I'm not sure I helped you with this yeah. podcast by being on it. but I want to <laughs> thank anybody who's made it this far in the podcast. It's I right. mean, we're over an hour and they're still listening. Right. Amen to them. They love band. <laughs> That's right. They must. <laughs> Hey there, everybody, and welcome back to the Growing Band Director Podcast. My name is Kyle Smith, and joining me is my friend and colleague, Jeff Smith. Our mission is to share practical advice and explore topics that will help every band director, no matter your experience level, as well as music education students who are working to join us in the coming years. Together, we will discuss many aspects of a well-rounded band program, but most importantly, we will discuss concepts that help us all improve our own programs each and every day. Always remember the famous quote by Ray Kroc, when you're green, you're growing, and when you're right, you rot. Let's get started. All right. All right. Well, welcome back, everybody, to the Growing Band Director podcast. This is episode number 62 with my man, one of my good friends, Jeff Priest. How you doing? Old Town High School. Yep. Very good. Um, I want to thank everybody for following the show and doing what you do for kids and um, you know, all the stuff we deal with all the time, you know, th- I just thank you. Thank me. I'm a band director. Thank all of us for dealing with everything we have to deal with and, and all that. And you've sort of lived like the, all the things, right? That's right. When, when did you start teaching? Well, my first year was in Maddenall Cook Academy or at Maddenall Cook Academy, I should say, in, in the, uh, fall of 1985. Mm-hmm. And I did four years there and then, um, and then uh, David Socher, who uh, taught at Leonard Middle School, recruited me to apply for the Old Town High School job. So, <clears throat> and I've been here since the fall of 1989. So, and you've had a lot of great bands. Well, thank you. Yeah, I've, um, we've we've been very lucky, very fortunate. I I saw on your previous podcast Terry White saying mm. he's the luckiest man in the world. Well. I think I may be luckier than Terry White because um, this is a great situation. It was the it was the right time in the right place to do what we we did. Um, I came with I came with the freshmen. This was a, a ten through twelve uh, high school, and I came when I came came with the freshmen. So I had two classes, not only the sophomore class but the freshman class. Mm-hmm. So the band went from it was struggling went from twenty five kids to sixty five kids, and um, and everybody thought it was me. That did that, but when you broke it down and thought about it logically, it was that I got two classes <laughs> mm-hmm. of of kids. So we went from they went from very unsuccessful to very successful overnight. And so a lot of people gave me a lot of credit for that. A very uh, supportive superintendent um, John Grady at the time, and he he thought it was great and supported the program. And so we've 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 done you know, amazing things and travel to great places in Florida, California, New York, Boston, mm-hmm. Washington. We've done everything that, <clears throat> that, that I really wanted to do uh, with the kids to provide opportunities in music. And, and it was so great for us to have this, to do those types of things here because a lot of our kids are isolated. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I, I remember the first time we, we flew to um, um, Florida for a festival it was the first time kids had ever been on a plane. 
Mm-hmm. And, and then to go to California was like going to the end of the earth, you know. <laughs> so, and, so and, we'd, and we all, every other year, we, we, so we went to Florida with the, with the groups one year, and then, and then we would um, uh, you know, go to a more local type of thing the next year. And then we'd, and we went to Florida so many times, the kids were actually getting tired of going to Florida, so we, we uh, mm-hmm. added California. Mm-hmm. So I think, we, I think I've done six or seven California trips. I'm not sure if that's going to make it on the podcast, but that's a school bell. Yeah. We're doing this during the school day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I did six or seven California trips with the kids and then probably a dozen Florida trips. So we've, we've done a lot of fun stuff and, and it's, it's been a really great, yeah. great thing. So. so what's the population of this town? Probably about 6,700. Yeah. Um, so it's, and I think it's been 20 years since the mill has closed. Mm-hmm. Um, we used to have a school population. We were going over 800, um, which this place was pretty full for 800. Sure. And now we're about 530. Yeah. Um, a lot of factors came into play, and, and we're actually getting smaller, as most towns you know, south of Augusta, uh, north of Augusta are, mm-hmm. are getting smaller. And, and so all the festivals we go to, they, they see where we're from and can't believe that you know, there's anything going on way up north. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of the new northern Maine in, right. in many, many ways because sure. of, of you know, the things that have happened. So. And you've always seemed to have a lot of a high percentage of kids in band for having a small school. Yeah. Because um, no, any program that has a great success at the high school always has a great feeder program. And, Amen. And, and feeder isn't the right word because they're... They're our, their own program our, that our, also feeds your program. Our middle school program is, is all, stands alone all by itself. You know, it doesn't need, they're not training students to go to Old Town High School. They're training students to be terrific at the middle level. And um, <clears throat> so we've had tons of advantages with that. Um, we start kids in fourth grade. And we feel that that's the right thing to do for our community because we get to them before a lot of other people get to them. And so their music... Uh, routine is mm-hmm. in place by the time other opportunities arise for them. Mm-hmm. And we send the message that all our students can do everything, athletics, yep. music, academics. And we encourage them all the way through right, right through uh, high school to, to do athletics. And, a lot, and, and, con- and there are conflicts in some schools. We just don't have the conflicts. If, if, I, if I set music dates and they conflict with athletic events, I cancel my music dates and we'll find another date. Uh, oftentimes, the music, the uh, athletic events can't be rescheduled, but the music can. And we work closely with our administrative team so that they can find the three conflict-free dates, you know, so that the kids can do everything. Because we're at the point now where we have very few students, and all the great kids do everything. Right. So, um, so, and we have a situation in our elementary school where we start fourth graders, and if some of the classroom teachers see a student that's not playing in a band instrument, they want to know why. Mm. So we've, we've, we've developed a culture that everybody plays in band. And that doesn't all, you know, that does, we're, not every, we're not getting everybody, but we're getting a lot of students. And, and any student that can't afford an instrument, um, I'm kind of a used instrument collector. So um, I'll get requests from the elementary school, uh, you know, that I need three clarinets, four flutes, and two trombones, and, yeah. and can you do it? I said, yes, I can, because I've been collecting them over the years and repairing them and storing them away. And, and so everybody that wants to play can. And um, I think that, that has changed, you know, the, the way we do business, you know, over the last 30 years. And, mm-hmm. and so, and being here 
in this community for 34 years is, is you know, is a, an advantage because I know how everything works and sure. I know who to talk to and who not to talk to. And yeah. <laughs> so, and we've been very fortunate. So, well, two things come to mind when I hang out with you around kids. <laughs> One is there's going to be a lot of laughing because you never seem to take yourself too seriously. I do not. That's right. <laughs> Something I need to learn. Um, and also your, the bands always sound great. So you've done honor bands everywhere. Um, your bands sound great. You're just somebody that, Jeff, would you do the band? Great. And then you can just leave and come back in a while and the band's going to sound great. Well, thank you. Full sound, <laughs> good ensemble playing, yep. all the things. So I know a lot of what we wanted to talk about was just all these tips that you've come up with over your years of teaching that you would consider them all very simple. I do. Right? Yep. Things that will help other teachers try some of these things and uh, help their groups. Yep. And I would say... Most everything that I'm doing, I've stolen from somebody else. Mm -hmm. um, and I think Terry mentioned this, and, and many of your other guests have mentioned this, is that networking is essential. I mean, because we're so multitasking all the time, and there's so many irons in the fire, or you want a ton of irons in the fire, because you want to de be dealing with all these issues. Mm -hmm. And so, <clears throat> so everything I, when I first came to Old Town, one of the big programs in the area was Nokomis High School with Stan Buchanan. And so I had essentially copied everything he was doing. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you know how you fake it till you can you know, make it. Mm -hmm. And so I was you know, chasing my tail for a long time with that, but it was, it was just a matter of figuring those things out and, and then adding your, you know, your personality to things. And we had a lot of fun. I think I probably 30 years ago, I was much more serious than I am now, but I found that Children have changed. Yep. Programs have changed. I would have played for Tuscanini. You would have yep. played for Tuscanini. But these kids aren't going to. Yeah. They, they want to play for someone that they like. And we, so we, that's a whole factor that we have to add into the millions of other things that we have to do is that we have to be personable with them and we have to you know, entertain them. But yet, they've, they've got to know there's a line. Mm -hmm. And I, I always say that because I've gone to the Midwest, I think, 16 years 16 times that we can hold kids to a higher standard and it's just but you've got to have the techniques to do that and and the kindness to do that and the funness if that's such a word to yeah. do that type of thing and I think that's what I've done um, the big thing for me is instrumentation yeah. um, we're not starting this rehearsal until there are seven tuba players. <laughs> right. Because seven tuba players <laughs> right. spell Old Town. Right. So right. <laughs> that would be from the marching band. And I would yeah. be a big marching band guy if the marching band world was around me. Right. But um, it's not. So yeah. it makes it very difficult for to do that. But, so we did a lot of street marching. I did three cherry blossom parades. We did the 1997 inaugural parade, hmm. um, Pre President Clinton's parade. So we've, we've done some big events. We did the, we were the, we were the um, main uh, or the the um, uh, band that was chosen to do the Woonsocket Rhode Island Parade. Mm -hmm. um, and so so we've done a lot of big events like that. And so that's, that's been fun to do with the kids. Um, but instrumentation is so important, um, especially low brass. And low brass can be challenging, I guess, for some people. I mean, I'm be, me being a euphonium player, mm -hmm. you know, um, we always have lots of euphoniums. We always have lots of tubas. Trombones, you know, I played trom you know, a lot of jazz bands, so I'm a trombone player also. French horns. 
Um, and we've done a good job of, because again, our middle school stands on its own, so they're well instrumentated. So I'm getting students from there. If I'm not getting enough, then we, we go to whatever recruiting techniques we can to, and we, we never start one person on one instrument. We always start them in pairs. Yep. French horn players, find a friend. You know, euphonium, find a friend, and then we switch them together, and then it seems to, and then they use their free time to come in and, and learn those instruments. And again, after you've learned one instrument fairly well, the second one is much quicker. Is it true that you let your tuba players go to lunch before everybody else when you rehearse before lunch? Well, um, <clears throat> we don't do that anymore, but tuba players clearly get um, um, advantages. Uh, so, and so I, I just remember holding up a, a tuba and saying, we need somebody to play this, you know, and five hands went up because, you know, they know that there's um, benefits yeah. that go with being a tuba player at Old Town High School. So yeah. it, is, it is a fun culture thing, and, you know, and the trumpets are really upset, and, and the alto saxophones are enormously upset with that, but <laughs> yeah. those are instruments that seem to be more popular at the fourth, fifth grade level. And, and again, we, we start beginners in fourth grade, but we also start them in fifth grade, so if we miss out on some students. So by the time... They get to the Leonard Middle School. There's there's a large number of students, and we do a we do an extensive uh, mentoring program with the eighth graders for our sixth graders yeah. to get them um, up to speed. and And so there's a lot of a lot of things that we do that um, really really work well for us. And I assume when they start the kids there, do you go heavy on the trombone over the trumpet numbers? Like, do you take more of the lower instruments, because they are going to easily turn into these other instruments as well? Or is that a kind uh, of a crapshoot? We certainly try. We, we're, we, actually, we're more interested in a lot of trumpet players, because they, be, they can become tuba players and French horn players. Um, we're, in this area, we're famous for um, our trumpet players playing trumpet in jazz band and playing French horn in concert band. Mm -hmm. Now, that's not a great double, because you're a trumpet player. You know that it's that two-thirds, one-third thing. Mm -hmm. But it works for us. Some of our best horn players played trumpet and jazz band. Yeah. So and it's not that dissimilar. I mean, you do have right. to make a change, but right. But it's, it's like it's, a cousin. It's taboo know? in some places, hmm. you know. what I mean, but it's but we we do that because we, we it's essential that we have horn players. Right. And, and if you're too low on trumpet numbers, then you, your jazz program isn't going to have enough trumpet players. Right. And one of the things yeah. that helped our uh, concert band instrumentation was that multiple jazz groups. And what I mean by that is. It, we always have two jazz ensembles or two jazz bands at the high school level. And we can convince, and, and we have that at the at Leonard Middle School um, level, and we can convince mom. So when you go to a trumpet player and say, hey, how would you like to play French horn and concert band? But you have to give up your trumpet. You know, mom and dad's attitude is that we just got done paying for this That's trumpet. Right. What are you talking about? You know, but no, he said, oh, no, no, no. They're going to play the trumpet and jazz band, mm -hmm. but they're going to give them a nice double horn, shiny and nice and new because we keep everything, you know, so we're handing them something nice as opposed to something that smells and <laughs> right. looks bad. Right. And they're going to just play this instrument and they're going to get this one for free. Oh, that's great, they said. Yeah. You know, so that really, and we do that with euphoniums and tubas and all that type of thing. So we have a lot. I've, I've had a ton of kids that play trumpet in jazz band and tuba in concert band, and they can do that, you know. Hmm. And um, that really helps our low brass. I mean, and, and, we, and we have great low brass players. And then we have original low brass players that you start in fourth, fifth grade, but, but a lot of them have been switched. One year, I remember one year I switched so many flute players 
to um, uh, low brass instruments that I was actually had a flute sh shortage. So <laughs> I, I asked the kids, I asked the low brass section, how many played flute? You know, almost all the hands went up. So, yeah. but we're willing to do that at, at all levels. Sometimes I don't have to do that because I'm I'm sent. Um, proper instrumentation, but mm -hmm. if I don't have it, I will I will fix it. And and you and and a lot of people will say, well, it's too late. It's not too late. They can learn that second instrument quite quickly. Mm -hmm. um, and so it, it it works out for us. And instrumentation is, if it's not our number one concern, it's one A um, in terms of that because um, we can sound very very good on anything if you have the right instrumentation. You don't have the right instrumentation. It's, and we do the, you know, the, um, the, you know, the pyramid of sound. We work on that constantly. You know, the, the low brass in the back is da on short notes, and the, and the, the woodwinds are dit, mm -hmm. and the trumpets. You know, we do all that type of stuff, which makes huge differences once, once the, you know. So for anybody who hasn't heard about that, can we delve into that a little bit more? Sure. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that, we do a lot with our low brass is that if a rest is following a note um, for the low brass that's a longer note unless it's indicated you know uh, otherwise but if it's, it has no articulation marking on it that's going to be a longer note for them so that the so that you do get that pyramid of sound mm -hmm. where the upper woodwinds and, and up, upper brass um, um, will play short so that you know, so that it just fixes the the tonality of the mm -hmm. of the short note. And the people in the middle play it. Yeah, the people. The way it's the, written. Yeah, I mean, most of the time I've had them play short. You know, okay. um, and that seems to work work best. Um, and 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 last notes of pieces, the same type of thing. If they're a short note, just so that you have that chordal stuff going on, it makes a huge difference. You do the same thing when you have a, a sustained note, right? Right. When you cut them off, mm -hmm. you'll say certain. If you're in the middle. Cut off right with me. If yep. you're on a yep. lower, cut off a we little bit the, afterwards. The visual thing we do: flutes, middle, tuba. Yeah. So tuba. for people who aren't watching it, you put yep. your hand up, and as yep. you close your hand from the pinky in. Yep. So when you close your pinky, the flutes stop when, and clarinet stop, and then right. as they get to the first finger, exactly. and then when the thumb comes out, yep. that's when you hands all together. Then the, the last tuba. thing you hear is tuba. Right. Tuba. Right. You know. So. You're actually cutting off early if you're a higher instrument. That's exactly right. Yeah. And then you have to you have to work that out because some will go too early and things like that. Yeah. And, you know, but but those are those are little tips to go to the next level on on those types of things. You know, and it, can I bring up a memory about sure, this? Sure. I think it was 2010 when you were doing our honor band somewhere in there, and you were doing Salvation Is Created, mm. the great piece that I'm sure everybody's heard. If you haven't heard it, you should check it out. Um, there's also, I don't know, have you heard the, the arrangement by Michael Brown of Salvation is Created? I have, yeah. Oh my gosh, it's yeah. wonderful. I mean, if you have the band to play the original, do the original. Right. But it takes this piece and puts it in a grade two, even if your instrumentation is not great, and it sounds like the original deal. It's really cool. Mm -hmm. And the percussion all play the chime part, and it's easy to play and, and all that. Yep. Anyway, I'm going to plug that piece because I've done it a couple times. <laughs> From grade two to grade three, like, it's a great piece. Anyway, so you work the opening of that Salvation is Created. And the woodwinds, who people who weren't playing, could have just gone and had a coffee. I mean, they could have just taken forever if they wanted. Because you kept, and I thought, because the opening of that, it's, it's all low brass, correct? Right. Tubas are in, euphoniums mm -hmm. are in, all trombones. Our horns, horns are not in. I don't think so. They're okay. later. Yep. We didn't plan this part. But yep. so like the opening is just low brass. And it's one of these that unless you have like two or three to a part, it's 
at this level, it's hard to make it sound the symphonic sound you want, right? So ideally, you have a large number mm-hmm. of kids. Um, and when they read it, I, I'm going to be honest, I was like, man, that's really good. Man, that sounded really good. Because I didn't have a trombone section of 10 or 12 that that band had. I just wasn't used to hearing the bodies and the five tubas. And you're like, wow, this is amazing. And you railed on that thing for half an hour or so. <laughs> and by the end, it was almost life-changing. It was so good. But So you took that high standards, but you were just... It was just this moment of just low brass. Yep. And when you have that, those numbers, you can do that. Right. Yeah. Great piece of music. It is. And then there's a lot of things you can do. We have, we have a lot of simple rules that we do. When slow, slow music is a whole... I mean, we could do at least one, one podcast on well, slow let's, music. Do you want to get into that stuff right now about slow music? Sure. Let's do it. So what are some r- Jeff Priest rules for slow music? <laughs> the crescendoing half note. Unless, that is, unless the half note is at the end of the phrase with a fumata, you know what I mean? But how many of those? You know, extreme exceptions. The half note is always built in. So you're crescendoing the half note, wherever that half note might be, and it will make it enormously musical. You used okay. to say crescendo white notes. Right. In, in same. White, yep, same type of thing. But I think if you look through your slow music, there's a ton of half notes yeah. that that would take. Now, whole notes, there are more exceptions to that, but that would still apply. And the other thing is that if you want, if you want things to sound musical, when, when things crescendo speed up a little bit. Now, I'm, I'm talking very subtle changes mm-hmm. and things and when things decrescendo slow down mm-hmm. that's you know those are fairly obvious things but when but I, a lot of people don't think about that when i that's judge right. i never you know i rarely hear that and the musical phrases are, are just you know can can change the whole type of thing if you listen to classical music and you listen to a lot of people that um crescendo they're speeding up slightly and that makes a whole different that, that, music's ebb, building. that ebb building. and flow, yeah. you're either going somewhere or coming back from somewhere. We've heard that a million times. Yeah. But that's all very true. And, um, and so, those, so I use that rule all the time. I mean, I always say to the kids, don't just sit there. Do something. Now, the music's not boring. You're boring. That's your famous. <laughs> you are so boring. So the music is amazing. You have to not be boring. Right. Yeah. Are you bored right now? Well, you're, maybe you're a boring person. I don't know. I'm probably not. I mean, you know, you have to be careful with that. But but the the point is that just don't sit there. Do something, and then I'll dictate whether what we're doing is is appropriate to mm-hmm. the to the. And then a lot of cadence points have to be watched. You know, slowing down. You know, certain different situations, and you know, do d- certain different things. Um, the eighth notes. Um, I'll, 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 oftentimes they're rushed. They're, they need to be, you know, you'll need to linger on them like they're, they're heavy. And people pushing. talk in detail about that. But you, just have, you just have to say, play the eighth notes a little slower. Right, right, right. You know, almost pretend you're pushing them up a hill as opposed mm-hmm. to, you know. Imagery. Right, yeah. you know, that type of thing. And, and, then, and then the balance, of course, slow music. I mean, and <clears throat> one of the things we talked about before the, the podcast was that how do we develop the bottom of the band and this is really relevant in slow pieces because it's you know it's important in all the pieces but it seems to be exaggerated in slow music um <clears throat> one of the things i do with the trumpets clarinets trombones alto saxophones um french horn and flutes um, depending, because those are all first, second, and thirds, or first and second, is that I give all the parts to everybody. 
So the so like, for instance, like the first clarinet player will have first, second, and third in their folder. I never knew that about you, really. Yep. Keep going. And so what I'll do is that I want to rehearse the third clarinet part. That's the sound we need. I mean, third needs to be louder than second. Second needs to be louder than first. Okay, so what we'll do is we'll, we'll, I'll rehearse the third clarinets and every, so if the I have section plays the it. whole section plays third clarinet. And then I'll put it in the band with everybody playing third clarinet. And it becomes, oh, have you ever heard that before, kids? No, I've never heard that. And that's what we need. So, and we'll do that several times, and then I'll have the seconds play second, but the first still playing third, and then, so we build it from that, that way. That is brilliant. And then the third clarinet, what they'll do is they gain this confidence, because oftentimes our parts are separated by inexperienced players, more inexperienced mm -hmm. on second, the most experienced players on first. And so what that does is it makes you bottom, it makes the band bottom, uh, top heavy right. instantly. Yeah. And so we're just trying to reverse that effect. And then sometimes, there's, there's times where I think I want I want um, two of the first to play second and one you know that type of thing and only one first and the kids seem really receptive to that because they seem it, they've almost gone to a helping mode you know they they're almost mentoring now they're helping mm -hmm. the thirds and I said it's awesome that you help the thirds right in this section because it's not thirds that you're not doing poorly it's just that it's something we need to hear more of we just need more of it you know more oregano. Is always mm -hmm. better, but if you get too much, it spoils the sauce. So, yeah. you know, so, and I do that with all the, the, the trumpets. It works great with the trumpets because lots of times the trumpets are playing the right fingerings, but the wrong partials. Mm -hmm. And same with the trombones. So we rehearse all that way. And it gives the, for me, it gives the ensemble this another level of understanding of what's mm. going on in the group as opposed to what they're playing. And then we, we constantly tell them all the time, why are you just listening? You're just listening to yourself. Could you try to hear somebody else and then tell me after I get done doing this section who you actually heard? And, and it really works, the listening from across the band. And, mm -hmm. and from, you know, we always want to listen back, supposedly, but listen, listen back to what? So we, we, play those, we play those sections so that they can hear the tonality of it. And, and lots of times they're in solely situations, but lots of times they're not. You know, we, ha we had... Um, we've had several pieces where the third clarinet was was a ind totally independent part. Right. So it needed to be supported with other players. So every situation we come on to could be treated differently depending on the orchestration of the of the piece. So, yeah. And it, it really works. I mean, I I've done this I've done this with my band. I haven't done it so much in festivals because a lot of the kids are assigned a part. And they're strong. Perhaps they're more experienced players, and they're a little stronger sound-wise. So you don't have to do that. Yeah. You know, that's the difference. You know, why does the district band sound much so much better than my band, or those types of things? And it, it oftentimes is technical ability, but oftentimes it's just the tonality and their sound. Mm -hmm. So. Well, so many of us have the ideal of saying, okay, my first trumpet player is going to play first, my second trumpet player is going to play second, and then third, then the fourth player is going to play first, and the fifth player is going to play second. Right. But so often the demands of the parts Doesn't makes that, a, that that's much harder to do. Right. So we, we used to, because that's what people told me to do, I tried it, and I said, this is junk. This doesn't work at all, <laughs> because yeah. the music we were playing was hard. Now, if everybody can play, then if that's every, an ideal Well, one. then if everybody can play, you don't need to do my system. Yeah. <laughs> Right. So, so the third trumpet player can't play the first trumpet, uh, but you're you're supposed to because that's the rotation that 
that we're doing, but it doesn't work. So you just support the lower parts constantly. And, and again, if you have one tuba player, we know that tuba player has a friend. Yeah. So it's just a matter of making that, fr- you know, you've got to go find a, a friend that you'd love to set by and play tuba, and we'll teach them how to play tuba. Right. And, and they, again, take on the mentoring role of, you know, we, we, it, way, way back, we used to have little tags that said tuba and training. Um, it was pretty fun because we made a big deal about it because yeah. we, we always wanted tuba. And we've always been fortunate because I was a euphonium player to have lots of euphoniums. I mean, yeah. a band that has uh, five tubas and five euphoniums, I mean, you could... Forget about it. You could play the yeah. phone book. You know, what is it? You can sing the phone book. You're so, you know, you've got such a great voice. A band yeah. can play the phone book, you know. Yeah. So, you know, so... And then playing in tune and all these types of things it, it just It helps. all happens. Yeah, it's a, you know... Well, that approach seems to also put the emphasis on the lower parts and makes those kids feel special. Right, and they often feel important. Don't. Right, makes them you're evaluating that they're very important. And sometimes in your music, if you do the score study, um, the second I was doing a piece recently, and there's only two trumpet parts. The second trumpet part, it's you don't think much of it, G's and F's and A's and whatever, right in the staff. But they're always playing the major seventh or the ninth of the chord. Yep. You know, and you don't hear much because we're used to hearing those sounds, but you actually get in and you dig into it and you're like, these second trumpets, that G is really, here's another reason why that the second part needs right. to be louder because that's the color note. Right. And when you do that score study and you put the emphasis on them, right. makes them feel. And the most neglected part of all in the whole band for, for 100 years, second alto saxophone. Mm-hmm. Got all the great notes. And oftentimes you can't even hear it. Right. You know, and well, we can hear the first altos. That's fine. We've got you. You know, what I mean, they're strong players, and but it's the second alto. So we rehearse second alto all the time, um, because oftentimes they're, they're you know the the horn pitches. You know, I mean, I know the alto one is also too, but oftentimes a lot of writers are just focusing on the second alto for those notes and that type of thing. So mm-hmm. it's a, it's a big it's a it's a sound that a lot of bands are missing out on. You know, and I think hopefully you know when I was rehearsing that district band, that's, that's what you heard was the manipulation mm-hmm. of that band to try to bring things out that, you know, that wasn't there at the initial. And sometimes the orchestration is not your friend either. It's just, you're never going to hear that part, you know? So, and in my case, the room. Oof, yeah. My room is awful. How's yeah. your room? It's, it's, it's not good, but it's, we, we, we make it work. And yeah. our, our problem is a performing arts center. We, we don't have one, and and the University of Maine has been kind of under... We go there for our concerts, and they've been under construction. So we've, we've, been, we've been, um, uh, been doing our concerts in the gym, which is not good. But, yeah. but, we, but hopefully that'll go away soon. So. Now, the other thing I do, um, with all these things that we've said, you've got to play in tune. Mm. And each, each, every student has a tuner. Um, those, I, I can't remember the name of them now. Um, the clip-on tuners. Yeah, yeah. clip-on tuners. And, um, and one of the advantages to that is that we're constantly checking unison notes. Um, and we're trying to, trying to visualize tuning and putting common sense terms to tuning as opposed to this mystical mm-hmm. <laughs> thing that nobody really understands. And because they've got their own personal tuner, they're, they're personally responsible now. They're not only responsible for their intonation, but the sound that they produce. Um, and so once they have their tuner and they're using the tuner effectively, I can't believe how it changed the sound of the band. 
Um, now, <clears throat> we understand that when you're doing chords and those type of things that the tuners are not as helpful, but there's a lot of unison lines that, can, that you rehearse that can, the tuners can really help. Yeah, so when you play the third, you're supposed to lower it how many cents? Right. Like 17, 20, yeah, yeah, uh, what is yeah. it? I don't know. Yeah. Some, yeah. until it's in tune. And then the fifth is supposed to go up a, a small amount right. as well. Right. Uh, if every kid is within 10 cents all right. the time, Okay, they've done their job. We're very close. We're, right. you know, and, and one of the great things about the certain instruments, like alto saxophone, the, all the saxophones, I mean, they can change the note very easily with a firmer or a looser embouchure. So now when I ask the kids, your high A altos, what are you? I'm flat, usually on that mm -hmm. note. I'm sharp, usually on that note. And it takes a little bit. There's a learning curve to it. It takes a little bit. They want to change their mouthpiece on every note. I said, well, <laughs> that's not going to yeah. work. We go back to our tuning note, and then we play the A, and then we analyze where we're at. So when we come to that section, they can make those adjustments because oftentimes their ears are not developed enough to notice. They, they may notice something's wrong, and right. that's, that's a great step once they notice something's wrong. Right. And then they can make adjustments, but oftentimes they don't know that it's wrong. Do you work with mouthpieces only on saxophone? Right. I, trumpets. Um, on saxophone, I'm wondering. Yeah, on saxophone, yep. I don't as much as I should, but right. I'm going to go on my soapbox for a second. Um, yeah, we do, we, do, we do a lot of mouthpiece okay. upgrades, and, we, and a lot of the kids can't afford them because yeah. saxophone... No, I mean on playing pitches oh. on, the mouthpiece, on the saxophone mouthpiece. I don't know oh, if you guys oh, do yeah. that or not. Yeah, but we, we do that in, in, in private lessons and but small like section things. Yep. I might be mis mistaking, but I think Barry Sax is an E-flat. A tenor sax is a G, mm -hmm. and an alto sax is an A, yeah. concert pitch, mm -hmm. and that almost no kid will match that right away. Right. But if you can get your sections matching that tone as loud as possible, so they have to open up way more, say, ah, oh, and get the yeah. correct embouchure so they don't pinch as much. Then you put the horn together, and they're way more in tune, and they're way louder. Right. I mean, I would say 98% of all saxophone players in America play sharp. Right. And you do that, and they're going to get a note way, way higher than they're supposed to. Yep. And then once they can do it, then you can move down a half step and have them practice matching exactly. that pitch, and then they can tune until right. as long right. as the day is. I mean, it's yep. it's a great opportunity. So if people don't do that, they should. I don't do it as much as I should, but it's a technique yep. I've used. And we do that a lot with the with the tuners because they can visually see that. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, the altos clip it right up, so they're looking right into it. You know. Um, they also make attachments to the normal tuners. They're a little more expensive, but you can put the tuner on your stand, and then there's a wire that comes and clicks, clips yeah. on your microphone. We, we did those at first, yeah. but uh, the, wire, the wiring failed us a lot, you know, where it hitches on to the... Hmm. So we went with the clip-ons, and we've had less trouble with these. And then um, this company that is it... I can't remember the name. It begins with S. The Snark Tuner? Yeah, the Snark yeah. Tuner mm -hmm. company, is, and I've been in com communication with them, They've upgraded their tuners so that they, they used to do the three-tab, and the ball fits into the three-tab. Well, once the tab breaks, the tuner's no good. Right. So I've talked with them, and they actually redesigned and put it into a sleeve. The ball goes into a sleeve so that – and, and I, I'm not saying that I – All because of you. I'm not saying that, but they <laughs> realized maybe the other 3,000 phone calls they were getting. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> we got to do something. So now the, the, new, the new tuners that we're getting are, are much more industrial strength. So. Yeah. So that really, and I think, you know, I think the tuning has helped us a lot, especially during COVID. A lot of kids weren't playing, you yeah. know, so when we came back, it was, it was, you know. One thing I've gotten back to a lot is the F drone 
And you could just, if you have your computer plugged into whatever you have for a thing, just go on YouTube and you F drone and last for 20 minutes or whatever. Yep. The other day I put it on, it looks exactly the same, but it's the F sharp drone. I'm not lying. Really? I, it was like the world was spinning. I oh. put it, I like, I had the band play and turn it up all at once. And, uh, <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. And then I stopped and I heard the drone was an F sharp instead of an F. And it was like, it was kind of rough. It was a Mr. Yeah. Smith moment, but, uh, and we do a lot of things with sound with the kids, uh, trumpets, all our trumpets, um, I think all trumpet players start on 7C okay. uh, or something equivalent to that. Yeah. And um, so by the time they're in seventh grade, definitely by freshman year, we've, we've changed them to 5C um, because we believe that their lips must be bigger now. Their arms are longer. Their legs, legs are longer. They're taller. You know, the muscles are stronger. Um, yeah. so, so, so all our trumpet players, unless they have a specific you know, teacher and that type of thing, are all on 5C. Trombones are... Um, all on seven C's, um, and that makes a big difference in the sound, um, you know, for them, and it opens everything up, and so it's, you know, and so that's that's changed a lot, and then again, we mess with, you know, as much uh, saxophone mouthpieces and mm -hmm. different brands and different kinds and, and you know, those types of things, so that makes Great. a big difference. And, oh, the other thing that we do um, that helps with sound is all our students get free reads. Yeah. Um, and so I buy the reads you know, the, the, the uh, um, top quality reads. And th the only thing that they have to do, if they accept my free reads, which they all do, they have to have a four read holder mm -hmm. and they have to rotate them. You um, label them one, two, three, four. Right. Yep. And we have a labeling day and we have a read, read day and we do that. And many of them will do that. Um, I've had a few that I catch that don't, but um, I search cases. And you know, it's a way you can do it. I've done it in the past. Monday is is one for everybody. Tuesday's mm -hmm. two, Wednesday's yep. three, th Friday's four, what, Thursday's four, and then Friday you get to pick whichever one you want. And obviously yeah. on concert day, pick your best one. Sure, yeah. and then and 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 that's a good way to do it. Um, but what happens? Um, I've, I've almost lost my thought there. But because because we're doing the reads, oh, those four reads will last a substantially long yep. time. Yep. So the, the initial cost is a lot, but once you get into it, it's. Um, it's very cost I don't know if you do this. I was taught when they take the read, they lay it flat on a piece of paper, which acts as sandpaper, and then they kind of move it in circles to kind of sand it down a little flatter mm -hmm. before they begin yep. to use it. I think many of them do that, and I yep. don't see it, but, yeah, we should probably try to control that. I mean, I, I, I assume it works. I've been told by good yep. people. Yep. So yep. it's great. Talked a lot about concert band. How about conductors? Let's talk about conductors. Conductors. Yeah, like... Yeah. We're both good conductors. We show the music. Yep. Yeah. We, My, our ears are working well as we're conducting. We're right. hearing things. We're showing things. I used to be a really good conductor. <laughs> <laughs> you know, now, that may be an exaggeration there, too. But, uh, but what, what we all do is what everybody knows we do. We get too big. Yep. You know, and, and it's because you're trying so hard for them to do so well that you think, if a little is good, maybe a lot's better, you know, and, it, and it's just not, yeah. you know, you've got to, you've got to rein it in. You've got to more wrist, more wrist, more fingertip, and you've got to come with a, some kind of a, almost like a pitching, you know, you see that when you watch baseball games, the mm -hmm. pitching square yep. for the pitchers, you almost have got to establish yourself with one of those and don't, you can come out of it every once in a while, you know, but for the most part, it should be right, you know, right within that. Yep. space in front of you and 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 the work that you do once you once you rein it in they're going to have to watch you yeah and and they 
they reflect how you what you're showing. Mm-hmm. So if you see one of these directors, and we've both done it, we, so I'm not saying we don't do it, who is like overconducting at the moment, and it looks like really hard, like they're struggling almost mm-hmm. like, wow, that's how do you do that? That's really hard. Right. And then you hear the music, like it kind of sounds the same way. Right. And the minute you either stop conducting or you conduct mm-hmm. differently, the yep. music just changes. It's, yep. it's amazing how much... And actually quite humbling how much at times we're holding our students back right. by our conducting. Right. I've always said this, there's bad conductors and great rehearsers. And then there's great conductors and poor rehearsers. There rarely is a great conductor and a great rehearser. Mm-hmm. Those are, those, you know, it's, just, it's just the way it is. And, and I, I, I constantly have to remind myself to, and when things aren't going well, it's you know if, if I was videotaping myself, it would yeah, that's why you know. One and, of the things my wife does to help this, she's on the podium, maybe ten percent of the rehearsal. If you go, she is all over the place the entire time, running the rehearsal great. behind the band in the percussion section in the trumpet wherever, and they're on her all the time. But she's so then when she and they can function totally without here, like you say, the Cadillac is a Cadillac without right. the hood ornament, right? Yep. So then when she gets on the podium and shows something, it means so much more. Right. So I would urge people to get off the podium, right. walk around. Well, and then, boy, the mystery of what's going on back there. <laughs> there shouldn't be a mystery. Just walk back there. <laughs> right. Right. Some people, Ken Clark always said, put a separate the band and put a row right down the middle so you can yep. walk right back to the percussion yep. section. Yep. And he's a percussionist. So yep. yep. And so that, yeah, absolutely. So I think that. I think all conductors do a, they've got the skills. It's just a matter, and like you say, you've got to show them. But the big thing is that you have to show them something. You have to do something because they're not going to watch you. If you're just going to one, two, ready, go, and, you know, and you've got to mess with them constantly. And I do it musically. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll, you know, I, I probably will eventually, by the time the concert comes, I've done that section the same a few times, but I hate being on, you know, do it the same way exactly all the time. Slow down, speed up. We do tons of drills with count with me one, two, three, four, one, two, three, and then I'll go one, two, three, four, one, and two, and yep. we make them add the and. Yep. Um, you can make it a competition when you play an eight bar chorale. And just, I bet you can't stay with me. Right. And they can when you yep. make it a competition. And we're, we're doing like um, deer path dances. So it's one, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, three, four, five, six. We can count the whole piece just like that. Mm-hmm. Not their parts, but the, the meter changes and all. And boy, once they understand that, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, one, one, two, three, four, you know, it makes a big difference. And it's not something that a lot of people would do, mm-hmm. but. Um, it really works well. I have a variation on that that I saw. You know, Jean Quinn mm-hmm. just retired. One of my one of my dear friends, great middle school teacher. She was doing our district honor band, and it was a way to get them to do it. They were also doing the second movement of Lincolnshire Posey, the young young band arrangement. So the Saturday warm up was: I want you to play whole notes of the concert B flat scale, but every measure I'm going to change meter. It could be two, it could be one, it could be four, it could be five, it could be six, it could be three. And you only change notes when I get to count one. Right. So she'd conduct one, two, three, four, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, three, yep. four, five. She wouldn't speed up or slow down, but, and they couldn't, so that like forced them 
to watch her. She was giving them information right. that they needed. That talk about a brilliant teaching moment because right. like not only are you making them watch you, but you're practicing a skill that you need in right. the piece that you're doing. Right. And she's made it simple enough so they're doing concert B flat. Right. So that the only thing they're thinking about is, you know, we do it all the time. The notes are easy. Why aren't you watching me? And we've gotten to the point is a learning curve to everything, but this is one. And if you don't line up, then you have to stop and realign yourself. Now, you, you hope that that doesn't come to the case in a concert, but, but in rehearsals, that, and doing slow music, people are very frustrated, but a lot of the students just don't understand that this is one, you know, and, and count with them and, and subdivide, and, and subdivision is a tough thing for them to do, um, but if you practice it, you know, and now since they, they went home for a year and a half or whatever, then they come back, that awareness was right. just gone. Right. The With, first band I had afterwards was like, we couldn't play beat one together. Right. Because right. they were just so used to doing their own thing. Right, exactly. Yep. Um, how about sight reading? Let's yeah. talk about that. Yeah. Sight reading. Wow. So why would anybody, or any musician, I should say, want to do sight reading when every time you do it, it makes you feel not smart? I mean, kids today like to do things that make them feel smart or make them feel good, whatever you, however you want to package it. So I was saying to myself, boy, what am I going to do? Because we, we need to sight read, especially at the State Jazz Festival and all that type of thing. And um, <clears throat> so I said, I got to thinking about people that are great sight readers. Um, because we're, we're so involved in You jazz. looked at me. You weren't referring to me, though, right? <laughs> no, but these bands, studio musicians, yeah. they put anything in. They start their day having no idea what they're going to be handed. And, but that's their living, and they're not going to make money if they don't perform this piece at all. Yep. You know? So w what do they do? Well, oftentimes they already know, like in, especially in jazz bands, they already know the song. If you're sight-reading Satin Doll you know how it goes. Now, there might be some interesting different twists and turns that your arranger did, but for the most part, you've got the fundamental skills. So I'm thinking like, what, do, what, what is it that my kids don't know? They don't know the songs, okay? And with concert band, they just don't know the rhythms. So uh, what I do is I sight read with the kids, I play the recording first. And they're sitting there intently watching, paying attention, mm -hmm. and then we play the piece. And they go, I said, kids, that was great. You did a great job with that. You know, now, the purist would be saying, well, Jeff, that's not sight reading if you right. played the recording for And they're right. So the next... But they don't have the background knowledge to like even... Right. So it's almost an unfair thing you're doing to them. Yeah. Now, I understand you can sight read grade one, that type of thing. And, and my kids can do that, grade two probably. But then you're getting into grade three, it's becoming very difficult for them. So I, I play the recordings. This is with jazz and concert band. We play the recordings. And then I'll, and we do, concert band, we do one a week. Um, jazz ensemble, you know, with the jazz groups, because I meet during the school day, we, we do every day. Um, and then eventually I'll, oh, kids, I'm sorry, I don't have the recording to this one. And then they'll have to do that on their own. And I'll pick a, one that's a little easier. And then, if, so when I say we're going to sight read, because of all those techniques, which are very simple, I'm not saying that they're innovative, mm -hmm. but because I prep them that way, they're very excited to sight read and want to and try harder. And then I'll throw them some harder stuff and then they'll fail. I said, well, I bet that's good. Let's step back and do this. And so we sight read a ton 
and um, the kids really love doing it. I mean, and, and if I don't do it for a few days because we get busy with mm-hmm. trying to perfect the concert program stuff, things like that, they'll ask. Yeah. We haven't sight read. And we've, I don't think we've ever gotten anything other than a five at the State Jazz Festival. Yeah. And what we do, that two minutes for the people that are doing the State Jazz Festival, that two minutes that the kids look at the music, the lead alto player will count off and they will sing the 32 bars. Usually it's 32 bars. And then I, when I get my two minutes to talk to the kids, I can say, hey, kids, in measure 14, you sang that rhythm wrong. Now, I can't sing the rhythm for them, but they'll relook at that rhythm. Yeah. Think about that and that type of thing. And um, Dr. Edelman did sight reading one year and stuff and, and said that, you know, called me specifically, said that, that the method that I was using was, yeah. you know, very organized and very, because it can be a very chaotic time, you, sure. know, you know, time, sure. you know, when everybody's trying to, to do that. But it worked, I mean, it works well for us, and that's what we we do with that. A couple things I've done with the sight reading side of things is first of all, you can find tons of rhythm sheets on YouTube. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm on online. There's one from the Summit Bands. I stole their stuff because it's out there. And it's these great rhythm drills. Yeah, I'll have to. And Summit Bands? Summit, okay. yeah. Yep. I mean, you just put in like band sight reading drills or rhythm drills and they're one of the yep. ones that pop up. They're great. I mean, they're there so you can use them. And they kind of listed rhythm one, rhythm two, rhythm yeah, three. Yeah, it's like yep. page one. And it goes from yep. easy to hard and all that. Yep. Sure. But to me, the simple part of Having a fun backing track or a tune, I, the one I use right now is F because we do it on an F. We'll do like F minor fusion, right? Yep. And I'll, or I'll find a backing track that they really like, and they have to move to the music and they have to tap the beat. And so like they're playing a rhythm drill, but they're like on this cool club groove or whatever it is, or a rap groove or a fusion groove, or it doesn't matter as long as the tempo is something they can do. I'll have them count it through once without stopping. Then we'll call sizzle count or whisper count with the you tongue it. And then the third one is they play it. And you, sometimes we'll even improvise on it. Hey, pick a different note or change notes or whatever. Um, you can work that in too. The other thing I've done before, a shout out for people who do March Fridays. I was, I was, uh, I do, I had a rehearsal every day. I don't anymore, but every five days I had a book of just these like marching band marches. Mm-hmm. And so they're simplified versions of these great marches. And every Friday they knew we just took it out and we'd read a march. And some kids got really excited for March Fridays sure. because it, they knew we were going to do that. In marches, not that they're easy to sight read, but it's one, two, one, two, right. one, right. two. You know, there isn't a, a lot of other stuff happening there. Yep. So you're right. Getting kids to sight read as part of your culture yep. is really, really important. Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know. Playing, and their vocabulary. That's their vocabulary. Yeah, right. And playing, and playing the recordings for them is almost like learning. It's like training wheels. Yeah. You know, I mean, nobody ever really rode a bike without training wheels. So you're just giving them a, a taste of it, mm-hmm. and they get great. You know, I remember when I did the training wheels, I mean, with, with my kids, they thought they were the greatest thing alive. You know, they're riding a bike, yeah. they're pedaling, but you're trying to reduce the, the number of multitasking things they have to do yeah. and, and then take the training wheels off, not playing the recordings. and With the recording, sometimes you can have them play with the recording. And we'll do that. And it's like, wow, we sound yep. fantastic. Yep. Well, of course you do. Yep. You know, And you're right, it gets them into kind of into the spirit of it. Not a lot. Sometimes I'll take a vote. Because I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people will just pass out the sight reading piece and said, okay, here we go. Well, that wasn't very good. I mean, you just can't do that. Yeah. You know, I mean, you have to ease them into it and encourage them, and eventually they'll want to do it. And also, wouldn't we be happy if all of our kids spent five minutes listening to anything we wanted every day? Right. Wouldn't that be amazing? And, and that's well, a, typically, the minute they walk in, they have about five minutes till they're, you know, two, three, four, five minutes. Mm-hmm. So I have something on that you want them to hear of any style. Right. We, we, have, we, we'll con- we have the music that we're playing for our concert. Yeah. You know, and 
you know, while they're kind of coming into the room. The other thing, uh, the beginning of rehearsal, I'm very lucky. My rehearsal's at 8.30. So I encourage the kids to, and school starts at 8.30. I encourage the kids to get here at 8.10, you know, to, to extend that. We already have 74-minute rehearsals, which are just great, but I try to get even more, because do some warm-ups or some listening or that type of thing. So kids are starting to trickle into the room around 8.15 or so, and then, and then we always, I was always want to start with a chorale or something to warm them up. Well, I just never had enough parts and pieces or the right parts and pieces to start early. And I always wanted to start early. You know what I mean? I thought that was just a, you know, you know the, the early bird gets the worm, you know, type of thing. So I said, let's do that. Well, it, it really wasn't working with a chorale because the chorale would sound so awful because you're missing all these pieces. So that wasn't a positive thing. So then we went to lip slurs, lip slurs and long tones with the woodwinds. And so... Everybody will start on a B, concert B-flat, you know, duh, you know, that type of thing, and then work down chromatically. Mm -hmm. and, and when we get to, um, you know, F1 and 3, and then E1, 2, and 3, mm -hmm. and then we can change the, we can change the, you yeah. know, we can go to concert F. And then, so that was cool, and the woodwinds are playing long tones chromatically and that type of thing. So then I said, well, let's do all the scales that are associated with that. So, so we start out with a concert B-flat scale, going from high to low, and then we go concert A, concert A-flat, concert G, concert F-sharp, and then concert E. F and then E, yeah. And F and then E, E, yeah. and then go back to concert B-flat tuning note. And then we'd go the other way. So da 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 And then finally and do it that way. So everybody knows that. That's part of their if if they ask me at any time for an assessment piece, that's what we would use is that opening warm-up thing. And I can do that with five people, two people if I had to. So we so and and it and it gives the kids seven scales at least that they know. So one of our I think you have to have some, I can't remember what they're called, benchmarks or something. Everybody that graduates from Old Town High School Music Will know seven scales. Will know seven <laughs> scales. And then, we, and then we've added concert, you know, concert B-flat, yeah. chromatic scale. And then the kids wanted to know, they were thinking, oh, just so there's a chromatic scale for every, you know. I said, no, there's only really one chromatic scale. Yeah. We just started on three. So now we started on B-flat, E-flat, and F. Yeah. And then eventually, maybe next semester, we'll change those yeah. starting notes because it does change it for them mentally you yeah. know in terms of where they start the chromatic scale and end the chromatic scale so so we do a lot of th that's our warm-up in the morning and then if i want to go to a chorale at that point i will um when finally the bell is rung the morning announcements are over and everybody's in their seats yeah so so that, cool. and, and it's made a big difference with our brass players um you know like you said why do we do why do we do lip slurs yeah. and you know, that type of thing. And, and the other thing with the chromatic scales, you know, everything is working. You know, and we work a lot on the alternate fingerings and the alternate positions and yeah. adding them. If, you know, someone, this is boring, okay, we'll add some alternate fingerings and alternate positions and that yeah. type of thing. And that develops some of those, you know, um, um, alternate, you know, like with trombone, you know, D and fourth and B flats and fifth and things like that. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so we should get into some of the stories, some of the, some of the funny, I don't know, some of the stuff, funny stuff I think about when we talk, because we've talked for years and years and years. And uh, so one of the things, I just had them in my head. What was it? Oh, yeah. So did you learn this from Skeff and, or Skeff learned this from you or whatever, but people haven't, when it changed my world when I heard this, because I was in the middle of doing all second band all the time in jazz band. So the, on the shout chorus, mm -hmm. right, taking the lead trumpet part, 
and writing it out in octaves for the entire brass section. So they're all playing the melody in octaves. And then you're not going to notice it because all the saxophones have all the harmony parts. Um, that when you have a younger, less experienced band and you want to take a chart and make it sound more powerful at those times, that's a trick you can use. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm not sure if that's, I think that's the right thing for the kids. Um, I don't know if the composer wants that or not, but you're, you're making this chart more accessible for them at that time. Right, exactly. Did I get that lineage I, right? Yeah, I think that I probably, Skeff, I think I listened to a podcast where Skeff actually took credit for that. Yeah. So, and he should, you know what I mean? Because I mean, he's much wiser, you know, yeah. in terms of, but I've been putting trumpets in octaves since, you know, <laughs> you know since the beginning of time. Yeah. And, and especially punches. Because those octave punches, I mean, it's from the old, you know, Maynard Ferguson days, you know, everything, everything was in octaves, you know, and those big, those big last moments or the last chords or the, you know, that type of thing. And, and so those inner notes are so hard for the inexperienced kids to hear. So, and what's the most, you know, what's the perfect solo? What's the perfect, you know, is the melody. Mm -hmm. So you've got to hear that melody note. And, um, um, so I, we do that a lot now. Depending on the ability of the trumpet section, I'll, you know, I'll change that up. And like one of the charts we're doing right now, there's one section where I'm doing octaves, and the other section I'm, I'm um, um, you, you know, what's written out. Um, but again, you, you have to look and make sure that the the, the uh, tonality is covered in other right. other um, uh, groups. Trombones, they don't seem to have as many problems with that for some reason. I I, hmm. I don't know. I don't know if the but but you can do that with trombones, but again, oftentimes you're not dealing with a, a melody note, mm -hmm. you know, type of thing. So yeah, we do that a lot, and I've had great success. I mean, good quality judges say, "Wow, the trumpets just sound so powerful and so punchy," and and the you know the you know the ba do ba ba do ah, you know, as, as opposed to ba do ba da ba do huh. So you know, so it makes a big difference, and and you can work, you can work doing the parts and getting the parts, and that's the other thing. Like I said, um, we'll all play fourth trumpet, you know, in jazz ensemble. Mm -hmm. We'll all just we'll play the shout shout chorus where all the trumpets are playing fourth trumpet, and it helps and supports the fourth trumpet. And then we'll do it with all the playing the third trumpet, yeah, and then and then break off from there, but. In, in jazz ensembles, the same way, development of the of the brass section. I mean, me being a trombone player, I've I've spent decades of my life making trumpet sections sound great. So it's a matter of you know fitting those trombone parts in with the trumpets, and they overlap that drop down two and four thing. You know, so you've got to overlap there somewhere of so the lower trumpets and the mm -hmm. first trombone, and you've got to line those up with. It, it's really helped. Third trumpet is the same as you know second trombone. Yeah, and if they and if and you, you, do, you do that for them, it really helps them when they're, you know, trying to, you know, get those pitches. Yeah. And so we do it. We break everything down. I mean, and, and again, I'm the luckiest person in the world who has jazz ensemble and jazz band for 74 minutes every other day. Yeah. You know, my brass players will have, so for instance, like a, a normal week, so we'll have band Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So my brass players will play on Monday. They'll have jazz ensemble or jazz, jazz band, the brass players, on Tuesday. So seventy. So they're playing five seventy-four minutes a week without practicing on their own. Without practicing and, on their own. Yeah. Yep. And oftentimes we tell the kids because don't practice because it's leave your instrument here because we're doing a ton of work, you know. So it's, you know, so it's a situation that our brass players are always very very strong. Yeah. And we're doing tons of lip slurs and all that type of stuff with them. So it's, um, you know, I've had several people, college people, come into my rehearsal <laughs> and they'll hear the lip slurs. I said. 
who does lip slurs, you know what I mean? Use in a jazz band. Right, yeah. you know, that type of thing. We just, and, and with concert band, in terms of, like, um, you know, before they get to college to learn all that type of stuff. But mm-hmm. we, I mean, it's, it's common now, but it wasn't so much, you know, 20, 30 years ago. So, hmm. you know, so it's, so those, those things work, work really well for us. And then this, and then because you've got the tonality covered in the saxophone section, you can do, you know, and then speaking about jazz stuff, I mean, there's some basic things. I think I know four or five drum licks and I can play, I can play, I've taught myself drum set. My, my biggest, um, I wish I'd learned how to play piano, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, the back in the day when moms used to make kids go to piano lessons, you know, that those days are gone. I, I always, my mom's 85 and I still give her a hard time of why didn't you make me take, take piano <laughs> lessons, you know, because it would have been great to go over and show the piano player, yeah. you know, and I should have taken the time to do that yeah. 30 years ago. Um, it's not too late. Yeah, it might be. <laughs> but <laughs> Third so, and seventh in the left yeah, hand. That's yeah. right, yep. So, but the drum, you know, you know, everything that's on the end of whatever, yep. you know, and then clicks behind saxophone sections, and then the left, developing the left hand comping, mm-hmm. I call it left hand comping. I mean, all this stuff is on YouTube. You just have to, you know, know what, what to type in. And, <laughs> and if you can just, whether a band director, like their band is at a certain point, Go and hear another band that you know is just better than your band. Right. Maybe not like the Gordon Goodwin band, but like right. hear a band that you think is better and then try to pinpoint, okay, what do they do that's better right. than us? Right. Oh my gosh, when they get to the solo sections, the solos is playing and the rhythm section is on fire. They're going back and forth and comping and doing all this. Yep. We should do that. Right. I mean, so, that's teaching in a nutshell. Right. They do that. We should learn how to do that. How do I do that? And I've heard you say in other podcasts, you know, like the, the chart is here, you know, and then the solo section. Yeah, you know, and it's got to be a combo-like situation. Do you know what I mean? And and it's and and if you got one thing out of this podcast, the development of the left hand comping from the drum set player, <laughs> you know, and, more and, important than the tuba stuff. Well, maybe uh. I don't know. Maybe because the drummers can do it. You know, a dang yeah. chick, da dang chick, da dang. You know, they don't need to do that. They can dance, dance, dang, dang, and they don't need to know what they're doing. Just do it. And then, and then eventually, as, as you know, they're faking that kind of thing, to make it later is, is to call in response with the soloist. And, and that as thing. they're learning to do it, if they're struggling, they can double the rhythm in their right hand on the ride cymbal. Right. I mean, it's not authentic, right. but it helps them get through it, and you wouldn't sure. really even notice. Exactly. Because don't play the bass drum. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's, you know, that's the big one. And then, but a lot of people say to feather the bass drum, if you, you can do it. You can, but very few, I've seen very few people do that, but, yeah. uh, but you can do it. I yeah. mean, but that's an advanced technique to feather that, yeah. you know, where a beginner, and a beginner really needs the boom, chick, boom, chick. So just take your foot off the bass and just and do it beside the bass drum right. pedal. You know what I mean? And the other thing if, it, and is the dang, dang, a dang, dang, a dang, 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 da dang, dang, yep. alter that. Because that, that lightens everything up. You know, don't play two and four. It's more like straight quarter notes with right. the occasional dang yeah. dangs. And behind the, behind the piano solo, don't play two and four. Yeah. You know, light, very light um, left-hand comping. So we're in the middle of Jazz Allstate now, and I kind of came here to hang with you. And so I'm managing, and John Mastriani from University of Connecticut is doing the band. Right before he left, he said, he said this in a way I'd never heard it. He said to the rhythm section, when the band's playing a lot... You need to stay out of the way. I don't think he was talking about drums in that case, but, you know, guitar and piano. And then when they don't play as much, that's where you have to play more. Right. And, I mean, that was like, he said it in such a simple way. Right. You've said some stuff in this podcast, and he said that. It reminds me of great coaches. You know, what is teaching or coaching? You take a really complex 
thought, and then you put it in the simplest way possible for someone who doesn't understand it to learn it. Well, I always say to the kids, including myself, if it's too compl- complicated, I can't understand it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm certainly not going to be able to, to help you, you know, with the type of thing. And, and it, so we, the greatest live performance I ever saw in my life, well, it was two of them. It was the Gordon Goodwin Band in Manchester, mm-hmm. in New Hampshire. Yeah. And, and I was like, oh, I'm so excited to hear this drummer. I can't remember the drummer's name, and I should, but he mm. played with Voodoo Daddy, I think. Yeah. You know, and, I know and, who you mean. And, but anyway, long story short on this is that I was amazed that night of what he did not play. And, and you're so right about in a big band situation, when the band's playing a lot, the drummer is it's really got to be just throwing backbeat, especially in shout choruses. With some fills on the end of four, you know one two three batu gang tom simple right and if if the drum is playing a lot there's going to be tons of problems rhythmically f- from other people and we we do a ton of that you know um, so it, that's a and it's a great thing and most of the drums if they can play a swing beat you know I have two really young drummers in jazz ensemble this year but what's so great for me is that they'll do everything I tell them and it's awesome because it's you know. In, in, in the band, the band can really swing be, with just some basic stuff. But we're doing a lot of left hand stuff during solo sections and during, you know, vamp sections. Especially need to be left hand mm-hmm. kind of comping and mm-hmm. not on the two and four. Um, so those type of things. So those are little things that, like when I do clinics and go to places, I, I just fix those instantly. You know right. what I mean? And it's and it's you know it's funny because I'm. I'm pretty simple with everything is that, you know, I'll go, I'll go work with somebody's band and, you know, and, and geez, I mean, the band sounded so much better when you got done. I said, what did you do? I said, I just worked on the sections that didn't sound good. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, but, the, but I think we need to step back a little bit. Sometimes we're so involved in the score and so overwhelmed with everything that's going on that we, we're really not listening. You know, boy, that doesn't sound good. And yeah. Skeff is famous for rewriting it. You know, because he has that ability. You know, the the only ability I have to rewrite things is put things in octaves and things like that. But, mm-hmm. but there's you know there's a lot of things you can do. You know, to to alter things that will make a big difference. You know, that's great. Any parting words we want to leave them with, or are we cooked? Well, I think you know one of the things that I I list, I binge listened to all your podcasts. All of them. Well, not um, all of them. Uh, yeah, but I haven't listened to all of them. I, I listened to a lot of marching band stuff that you know yeah. that I didn't know. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it was, it's great. So, but I think you need to be thanked for doing this. I mean, Thank you. You know, it's a, it's, it's something that's perhaps considered simple, but it takes the um, you know to tenacity to to do it every. Do you do one every week? Is that what? Yeah. I mean, that's you know that's great because all this stuff we need to know, even if it's like. Well, Jeff Priest didn't say anything I needed to know because I've already heard it before. That's great. You know what I mean? I mean, I've been teaching a long time, and I've tried to have a lot of conversations over my whole career. I learned from today that whole, like, everybody gets a third part, everybody gets that. I mean, I didn't know that at all. I mean, and I'm not saying I know more than everybody else, but, like, I've heard a lot. So, you know, I think the art of the conversation is just... And that's where I got the idea to do it in the, the way that we've done, Jeff and I have done the podcast, is just having the conversation... Because a lot of times you can just pick up stuff, in, you know, in a really easy way. Right. And I, you know, so thanks so much for doing this. Because sure. I think, it, do, you, do you have, um, do you get information on how many people have viewed your podcast and stuff? Yeah. So the numbers should be, we just got to get the word out. And I, I, I think I told a lot of people last week that, you know, they'd never heard of it. And you know, that, yeah. you know, and the, and the name is, the name is a cool name. So you put the growing 
band director in. Right. You know, it's, it when you're green, you're growing. When you're ripe, you rot. Right. That's from so the famous McDonald's owner. So. That's right. Yep. So, so it's really good that you do this. We, re I really appreciate it, and I, I know other people do. And and the fact that you get, you know, I get my ten minutes of fame. That's right. <laughs> the, uh, I, I was going to say something, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> so it works good, and, and um, so it's, it's a situation that you know. If there's anything we can do to help you, encourage to yeah. do this type of thing, I know, I'm not. I'm not sure I helped your show. Pay me, right? Just pay me. Right. That'd be great. <laughs> I'm not sure I helped you with this yeah. podcast by being on it, but I want to. I want to thank anybody who's made it this far in the podcast. It's I right. mean, we're over an hour, and they're still listening. Right. Amen to them. They love band. That's, that's right. They must. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thanks, I really Jeff. Appreciate it. All right. See you guys next time. We sincerely appreciate you taking your valuable time and listening to the Growing Band Director podcast. Your students are very lucky to have a band director like you. If you have any suggestions for episode topics or think you have an area of expertise to share on a show with us, please reach out. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your band director friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, our YouTube channel, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening to the Growing Band Director. See you next week.